This weekend marks our first birthday and it occurred to us that we've been rather remiss in our formative year in not having featured a music supervisor. So we decided to put that right by speaking to Sarah Bridge who came highly recommended by one of our previous guests, the Oscar winning John Ridley. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, the podcast about the sounds of the screen with directors, composers, actors and now music supervisors. As well as collaborating with John on TV series Gorilla, Sarah has worked on a host of critically acclaimed productions including X plus Y, The Sense of an Ending and The Theory of Everything. The latter was scored by one of her idols, Johan Johansson, whose title cue from the movie is playing now. We'll hear more from him later, not to mention Max Richter, Femi Kuti, Keaton Henson and Irma Thomas. But we began by discussing what exactly Sarah's role involves. Sarah, welcome to Soundtracking. I'm really thrilled that you're here because I was saying to you two reasons. A, having another woman on to talk about music and film, but also just to explain about your role and a role that isn't really talked about that much, the role of the music supervisor. Is that your yeah, official title? It is, indeed, yeah. <laughs> How would you describe what your role is? The role of the music supervisor essentially is that you oversee all elements of music on a production. So I will be involved with anything from live on-set performances yeah. and casting of musicians, being on set for the day, choosing the pieces of music, clearing them in advance of the production, coming on board at script level and working quite closely with the director to understand and develop what their vision is for the music in a project through to coming in and post-production, sourcing composers, commissioning composers and overseeing score and helping just develop the sound. It's a lot of jobs in there. Yeah, there's quite, it's quite a <laughs> yeah, significant role and lots of elements to take on board. I guess you can only really do one project at a time, can you? It really depends how intensive the project is. Most roles in film tend to be quite intense that you're on one project at a time. Yeah. Whereas with music supervision, you, it's a less full-time role. So you may come on early on and then be able to develop a certain part of it and then, then go into production and come back to it later yeah. in post-production. So, for example, I'm working on a new film with James Marsh at the moment who I worked on Theory of Everything. Yeah. And we did quite a lot of on-set performances, which I worked with James very closely in pre-production, was on set for them. And then I kind of stepped away for the rest of the show they've yeah. just completed filming and so I'm now going back in with him to start looking at the direction of the score any other source or needle drop moments that yeah. we want within the film Your ears must have been burning about two months ago actually when we spoke to John Ridley uh, the director Aww. of Gorilla who we had a lovely time with what a nice man he is he is such an incredible and he was so grateful and thankful and complimentary of the work that you'd done on that show because with that as well it was obviously it's a period piece isn't it in terms yeah. of, the, of the setting of the, the music absolutely I mean you used London based Afrobeat bands from that period like O.C. Bissa for example yeah Oh, yeah. 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 Oh,
You were really instrumental with the the live element of that and the music that was played within the narrative yeah. of, of the production as well. So with that, I guess you've got to be right in there at the start of it, haven't you, in terms of the, the I production meetings? I was, and um, working with the very wonderful John Ridley <laughs> on Gorilla was an incredible journey to go on. I'm probably, you know, up there in my favourite projects that yeah. I've worked on. It was, you know, each project is very unique, particularly period pieces. I'll start at script level, so I will start reading all of the scripts, understanding the time, the place, the culture, and then delving into lots of research on that project. So for example, Gorilla, uh, my research started with going into lots of musical archives, going to Notting Hill and Brixton and speaking to record dealers, going into People's Sounds, Honest John's, talking to individuals who were part of the movement at the time. Yeah. You know, going into academic research on the history of black music in the UK. That's amazing because I think people don't appreciate the level of work that goes into it. It's not just a case of, oh yeah, I've got this on my, iP- my, my iPod or whatever. You know, it's kind of, it's not, it's not the musical knowledge necessarily that you already have. It's about going and exploring as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I think my favourite part of the project, of any project is the research stages when you really kind of go in and delve in and, you know, essentially looking at cultural trends of musical immigration in the UK in the 60s and 70s for Gorilla, for example. And when I was initially looking at the early rise of Afrobeat and Afro-rock, it was definitely within the UK, it struck a sonic chord with the creator and director, John Ridley. And so that's something that became quite a core part of the show and then the sound of the show. During that process, they found an article from Billboard in the US that they'd written about the UK and what was happening here in the very early stages of Afro-Rock in the UK, which really was 69, 70, 71. And within that found the name of a band called Noir, who were the first all-black progressive rock band in the UK at the time, and they only released one album. Smog, tingling thick, can't see the right road, streets are thick, the eight-day mill, it might grind slow. I 
and I couldn't find anything more than that Billboard article on them, so I set about sending it around to all of the record labels, asking everyone if they had it to delve into their archives. Yeah. And I very much rely on those relationships with record labels and publishers as part of my role to be able to support me in the discovery and the unearthing of artists such as them. And BMG turned up that they had the tapes in their archives, so they were then able to, in turn, digitise those for oh, us. Wow. For us to be able to feature them in the show, which was... An incredible find. Yeah. yeah so. Well, John talked about that then specifically as well and how important that you unearthed this and you were kind of like, this has got to be, you know, this is part of the story. This yeah. is part of the journey of these people and these characters and this movement. Yeah, it was a, it was a magical moment <laughs> yeah. to find that. Give me a rope and a feast on a stripe Cut it down, turn a lap When his soul can sense his heart And John was incredibly collaborative. You know, he threw me a few challenges along the way too, so he wanted all of the music to be performed and recorded live on set on the day. Um, so normally you would pre-record, quite often in my role, I pre-record with artists in a studio and then their miming within ears on set on the day of filming and yeah. it's a much safer, more economical way of doing controlled things. Situ- yeah, yeah, controlled situation. But um, but no, the, yeah, John really definitely wanted to push boundaries and keep that kind of rawness yeah. and the real sound within that space, which was incredible. Do you like the um, challenge? I did. <laughs> I now know how to put on gigs on a regular basis. I was pretty much putting on a gig every week and bringing in Batline and yeah, it was a new experience for me and a new challenge. And we were lucky enough to uh, get Femi Kuti how to perform in the show, which was amazing. How did you manage that? It was part of the research. I was looking at, you know, Fella, his father was recording in London in 1971. And we were very kind of restricted to the years. So it literally was 69, 70, 71 that mm. John wanted me to pull music from. And so Fella was in London recording an album called London Scene at the time. And I just kind of started to think about whether or not we could contact one of his sons and to see if they would be up for coming across and supporting. And so we reached out to Femi Kuti via a manager that I know who's worked with him over the years and he was 100% keen to be involved you know it's politically a, a really important time in the UK history and something that he felt very passionate about. Did they take much persuasion then to, to do it and be part of the show? No it was kind of a timing thing you know and it actually worked out really well we had him in the country for two days it was an absolute delight to be <laughs> around and very fun and playful and cheeky yeah. and he, he just really embraced it yeah loved it it was great. When you look around us You lose. 
music was politicised as well, wasn't it, really, in terms of, like, it was another way of getting ideas and thoughts across, I think, at the time. Absolutely. And it was part of an underground movement. For example, Noir, all of their tracks are very politically led. And it's kind of part of that uprising that was happening at the time and part of the message that was coming across in the underground sounds in both Brixton and Notting yeah. Hill and across the UK and areas at that time. Yeah. You're talking there about the relationships with, with the record companies and kind of relying on, you know, sometimes kind of them delving into archives and things like that and trying to source stuff. Does it sometimes work the other way as well, where the record companies will kind of push stuff on you to go, oh, they hear you're working on a project to try and get you to include stuff in? Yes, in, yeah. very much so. I mean, I'm inundated <laughs> you're plugged, with emails basically. all of the time. Yeah, <laughs> I get hundreds of emails a week with music. So yeah. it's impossible, as I'm sure it is for you too, to ever sit and be able to listen to everything. everything but I yeah. think you have your sources that you become quite reliant on you get to understand different catalogues and which labels have what sound and I also work a lot with managers directly or with A&R people are a really great resource to tap into you know they have stuff you know artists very early on in development and working on a project at the moment with the director of AppFab for a forthcoming feature that she's working on and yeah I'm speaking to quite a few A&R people at Universal Records at the moment with regards to the artists that they have that may be suitable as the film will be coming out next summer amazing um, so yeah I very much rely on those relationships yeah, so revenue much. income as well now for artists. Yeah. You know, as records have been struggling, synchronisation nice. has yeah. become such a, such a big part. Just one last thing on Gorilla Book. Max Rister doing the score for that, who I'm a huge fan of. Me too. Did you have to work with Max at all? How did that kind of... How did I did. I mean, every project's different. Sometimes directors, you know, I respect that it's very much a director-composer relationship mm. and sometimes you step back and allow yeah. that to just be. And, and other times, directors really want my involvement at that stage. So John did, and he wanted me to be in the spotting sessions with Max. And we would get cues in and we would discuss them together and then speak to Max on the phone about them.
I'm a huge fan of Max as well. Yeah. He's got a lot to answer for my obsession with creating <laughs> sleep playlists now. I write me a new sleep playlist every week. Um, so yeah, he's, it was a pleasure to work with him and he was very much in my, in my top five of composers that I've wanted to work with over the years. How many of your top five have you worked with? Now. Whoa, yeah. that's good going. Yeah. What it's the other... been a very wonderful couple of years, yeah. the last couple of years. To uh, Carter Burwell, who I've just recently worked with on Goodbye Christopher Robin. Fantastic. Um, a wonderful job on that project. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I very much a pinch yourself moment. Um, Can't wait to see that film. And Johan Johansson, who I work with oh. on The Theory of Everything. So Again, the I've bl- been a long standing fan of both yeah, Johan and Max's works as artists before they really kind of took off in the world of composition. Johan, in terms of what he's done with Denis Villeneuve over the last yeah. you know, few films, is, is mesmerising. And what I hear so far from the new Blade Runner film, you know, in terms of following on from that iconic score from Vangelis and having to, well, I guess, match it at least, yeah. it must be a massive responsibility for a composer. Absolutely. What was he like That's to work with? He was great. He's a very calm and considered being and very <laughs> humble. Uh, yeah, he really embraced the theory of everything. I think it was a slight move away from some of his album work. Yeah, he was wonderful, and we recorded the score at Abbey Road, which is always a delight. So, yeah, wow. he was very collaborative, and that was very much a relationship between James Marsh and Johan. We're kind of working together very closely on that score and, and feeding back directly, so I was, I was less involved in the day-to-day on that. Just watch with Adam. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how do you get involved in a project? Sometimes I'll approach directly if I'm really interested in a project and I read about it being in development and I'll go directly to the producers or the director. I think a lot of the producers that I've worked with, I've gone on to work with on other projects and so they've naturally brought me in to meet the director. The director may be meeting two or three music supervisors at that stage. I will get the script. I tend to read through the script and make lots of notes. There may be some musical cues already written into the script at that stage. I tend to walk into a meeting with a director for the first time with some musical ideas and possibly some references, but equally with a completely open mind to hearing what their vision is. Yeah. 
the role of a music supervisor is to work with a director to be there to support them mm. and their vision and what they want to achieve with that and so that's very much a case of listening to the director yeah. and hearing what it is that they want to achieve the budget is something that always comes into the discussions with the yeah. director <laughs> in terms of like um, when they have ideas of certain songs and it's like that's never going to happen I guess when you read a script and there's maybe a music cue in there you can see the pound signs in terms of how much that specific track may well cost a production yeah you know I guess through experience you get to have an idea of what that is interestingly I worked on The Sense of an Ending um, which was directed by Ritesh Batra who's a wonderful director who previously had directed Lunchbox which was a wonderful film The Sense of an Ending was based on a Man Booker Prize winning novel by Julian Barnes. Yeah. And so I read the book and then I read the script. And within the book, actually, it had written in Time is on My Side by the Rolling Stones. And that was then rewritten into the script. And it was something that everybody felt very passionate about keeping. But yeah. as we well know, the Rolling Stones cost a huge amount of money. And Even I did my best. Yeah. I tried. I sent them the book. I sent them a letter from the director and the writer. But unfortunately, it was still out of budget. I also, within that research, discovered that Emma Thomas had done her version in the same year. The song isn't actually written by the Stones, so we were able to license it and use Emma Thomas's version, Brilliant. which essentially was trying to keep as real to the book as we possibly could. And it wasn't the Stones, but yeah. you know, we got as close as we could to it, and it's an incredible yeah. version. Of- And why you worked on as well. I love yeah. that film. It's an incredible, yeah. incredible film. Morgan Matthews. Was it Merle that did the original score for yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, which is Martin Phipps did the original score for mm. that. And he did a wonderful job. But 
but working on Express Y was one of my early projects actually um, and obviously working with a first time director Morgan Matthews was incredible um, he comes from a documentary making background and Express Y was based on a documentary that he had done a few years before called Beautiful yeah. Young Mind the film is about a young mathematician prodigy who's diagnosed very early on as being on the spectrum and it follows his journey to compete at a mathematics Olympiad and that film, I think, ended up about kind of 50-50 score and source. And mm. Martin worked really closely with Morgan and myself in terms of delivering that. He did a wonderful job. reading the script and it was actually at script level where I started to already have musical ideas very early on and I think his voice for me was resonating with an artist that I've loved for a few years at that point called Keaton Henson. Love him. Yeah he's wonderful. I saw him perform at Letters Live. Oh wow. Which was Brilliant. spectacular. Yeah, he tends to do quite small and intimate I, shows. I've only ever seen him in a yeah, library. Like left field or, yeah. settings and things as well. And such a powerful emotion within mm. his voice and his performance and the fragility of his songs and his lyrics. And so very early on Morgan had asked me to, you know, start collating music. And something that I quite often do in my role is collate music pre-shoot so that a director has music to listen to if they're still writing script notes or refining the script, but also to have on set for playback to set moods etc and so I compiled quite a long list of music for Morgan and he was going away for a couple of weeks and I gave him 60 plus pieces of music initially for him to go through and within that he was really also drawn to Keeson's music if he must mourn my love mourn with the moon and the stars up above And 
so as we kind of continued the conversation, it became quite clear that Keaton could potentially become quite a voice within the film. Yeah. So we, as soon as they got into the edit and it was kind of an assembly stage, we asked Keaton to come into the edit room to meet both Morgan, but also to see some elements and watch some, some very early cuts of the film. And he did, and he absolutely 100% wanted to be involved within it. And I think it really resonated with him. So we ended up featuring several, I think up to about eight pieces of music by Keaton. very early on opening cue which is across all the opening titles which kicks in in kind of a juxtaposition to what's happening to, in the picture at the start of the film and he also took that piece and added some other vocals and layers and made some kind of amendments to it and adjustments to it so it fitted beautifully to the picture and kind of heightened that moment wow. within it it was wonderful working with him and really great to be able to have a voice that worked and resonated so clearly with the character of the film yeah the lead character Sweetheart, what have you done to us? I turned my back and he turned to dust. What have you? How did you become a music supervisor? I went to London College of Printing and studied there. And then I, within that, we studied some script writing, but also music production. And it was quite a diverse course. So I kind of got a very broad overview. I knew I wanted to work in music and started in music journalism and worked at NME for a short period of time and then uncut a music magazine. And then I left there to do A&R at a small independent record label and publisher, which was essentially my role encompass developing artists. And we set up a publishing company. And then one day I found out what the role of a music supervisor was and set my mind to it. It was just like, this is incredible. I get to work with two of my favorite art forms and be able to collaborate the two together. And I've always had a kind of obsession with listening to film soundtracks and scores and classical and composers and one of my favourite record labels has always been Bedroom Community which has an amazing array of artists from Ben Frost to Nico Mooley to Valgia Sagasson. And so yeah I just ended up following that path and kind of going at it and yeah. trying to you know it took a while it took a lot of knocking on doors it took trying to get some experience and I initially started music supervision and advertising and then I left six years ago at the company that was at at the time to set up on my own and 
and start working in film. What are the films that you remember growing up and the music really resonating with you? Are there certain things either 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 in that contemporary choices or the the, the score element side of things? Are the ones that really that you remember where you suddenly realise, God, the music is really important or that's a great choice? Yeah. Or, there's so many. It's <laughs> yeah. a difficult question. Yeah, but I, uh, I think probably Goodfellas was one of the films where I was definitely not old enough to be watching it but <laughs> at the time when I did watch it it just struck me like it was you know I discovered the Shangri-Las watching that with their haunting song Remember Walking in the Sand and that just struck me that song and I, I've loved them ever since but I think that soundtrack for me it was such a nostalgic soundtrack to Scorsese's you know 60s youth and mm -hmm. was just very very powerful and that was probably one of the earliest memories I have of you know watching something and being completely kind of struck by the soundtrack yeah um it, it just sounds like such a wonderful job to be in like you say it marries these two art forms that you absolutely love and you're the musical glue. That's what I describe. Musical glue, yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. Sarah, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank and you so thank much you. for inviting me to be on the show. Thanks for your time. Cheers. From the soundtrack to Goodfellas, that's Remember Walking in the Sand by the Shangri-Las, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with music supervisor Sarah Bridge. My huge thanks to Sarah for taking the time to talk to us and giving us such complete insight into her many roles. You can catch up with all of our previous episodes by heading to edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe to this podcast. iTunes works equally well, of course. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK. And do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. Now, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have the one and only Mr. Clint Mansell, who I spoke to at the legendary Air Studios. Next week, I'm absolutely thrilled to share with you director David Lowry, whose new film, A Ghost Story, is just a masterpiece. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Music